Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask you to work through the words of today's sermon so that we do not look upon ourselves or our lives the way the unbelieving world does. Instead, we ask you to let us look upon them through the eyes of faith and see the blessings we have in you, no matter how harsh the circumstances appear to be. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history as recorded by St. Luke in chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. He went down with them and stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a large number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, as well as from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. These people came to listen to him and to be healed of their diseases. Those who were troubled by unclean spirits were also cured. The whole crowd kept trying to touch him because power was going out from him and healing them all. He lifted up his eyes to his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, because yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, because you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you whenever people hate you and whenever they exclude and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because of this. Your reward is great in heaven. The fact is, their fathers constantly did the same things to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, because you are receiving your comfort now. Woe to you who are well fed now, because you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, because you will be mourning and weeping. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, because that is how their fathers constantly treated the false prophets. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I've had a very rough life. You think you've had it rough, you don't understand how bad I've had it. It's been rough. And my high school years were the worst years of my life. You see, unlike everybody else, I had to drive a second-hand Porsche to school. And I'll tell you something. I seriously considered taking karate lessons to keep some of the upperclassmen from cutting in line in front of me at the cappuccino bar. Now you laugh because this is somebody who obviously by worldly standards has it good. And I can assure you my high school was not like that at all. But have you met somebody like that who really has it good and yet it's not good enough? They've missed it. You know, what's just as bad is the opposite end. I've often heard of people where doctors tell them things like you've got diabetes and you have to start following this diet to have a decent life. Or you're heading towards heart disease and you can prevent a heart attack simply by following this diet. And ah, they don't think it's that bad and they don't listen. It's a blessing, brothers and sisters in Christ, to know your blessings. And it's a blessing to know what's coming up ahead in woes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this world does not think the way we do. And God's Holy Spirit has enlightened you. And so our sermon theme for today is, you are blessed to know your blessings. Our text begins, we're told Jesus came down together with the twelve and stood upon a level place. There was a large crowd of his disciples and a large multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus had spent the previous night in prayer on top of a mountain. We don't know what that mountain was. Then he selected the twelve out of, because disciple just means follower, out of all the people. We know a lot of people were following him around. But he selected the twelve after that night of prayer. And then he doesn't go all the way down the mountain. He finds a level plain because there's a large crowd of people coming after him. 
It appears this is Luke's recording, and it's a much shorter recording, of what you know in the Gospel of Matthew as the Sermon of the Mount, which takes up several chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. So that's why it seems familiar to the Beatitudes. But why did those people come? In this world, we have a lot of problems, don't we? And those are spelled out in verse 18 for the reason why they came. They had come to hear Jesus and to be healed from their illnesses. And those afflicted were being cured from unclean spirits. Each person in the crowd was seeking to touch Jesus because power was coming out from alongside of him and it was healing everyone. Wow, brothers and sisters in Christ, people came for two reasons. One were natural reasons. They had naturally in the course of life got the diseases and the illnesses that come to us. And the other was for supernatural reasons. Unclean spirits, we also call them demons. They were terrified. They were harassed. They were possessed. Jesus showed he had power over both. Power was coming out from beside him. All they had to do was touch him. The reason for that is because Jesus, naturally, he's a man. But he's true God who took on human flesh, and that's where all the power came from. They came for a supernatural blessing, whether it was to be blessed because of natural afflictions or supernatural ones. But it's in all this that we're told in verse 20, then Jesus lifted up his eyes to his disciples and was saying, the words of today's text are meant for believers. They're meant to encourage and to warn. He's talking to disciples and probably not just the 12, but the larger group of those who are trusting in him. How are you blessed? That's the very first one. He says in verse 20, the beggarly poor are multi-blessed because the kingdom of God is your possession. It's difficult to translate this into English because it's a characteristic and it's plural. Many blessings. You're multi-blessed. That's not the way this world thinks, is it? If you're poor, the world reasons God must hate you. He's grinding you under his boot heel. You deserve it. But we know from Matthew's sermon on the mount, Matthew adds something. He says, blessed are you who are beggarly poor in spirit. He's talking about in a supernatural way, not, not according to the ways of this world. It's very interesting. The Greek word is not just poor. It's beggarly poor. All you can do is say, have mercy on me. I have nothing to eat. Please, please feed me. I'm starving. What does it mean to be beggarly poor in spirit? It means to recognize we have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is a mean, lean, God-hating machine. It despises anything that God considers holy because it despises God. To recognize that we come to God as beggars because he doesn't owe us anything. Now, verse 24 pronounces the opposite. Instead, woe to you guys who are rich because you're receiving your consolation in full. Who would be the rich in spirit? It would be those who think that they are entitled to something before God, who think they've earned something from God. Jesus says you're already receiving your reward. Later, Jesus will tell the disciples when praying not to be like the Pharisees who stood out in the middle of the street and put on a big show. What were they really praying for? They were praying for attention and they received their reward in full. They got the attention that they wanted. Somebody who comes before the Lord in a Jesus days, that would be somebody like a Pharisee or a, a regular Jew who thought, I'm a descendant of Abraham. Although I had no choice in that. Those are circumstances I couldn't control. God owes me salvation. Or look at how good I am in the synagogue. You and I can do this. 
I have come from a long line of prominent Wells families and many of my relatives have been prominent ministers in the Wells. That's somebody who's sinfully missing. They think they're rich before the Lord. I went to the right schools. The Lord owes me salvation. Wrong. I give a big offering and I do a lot of stuff in my congregation. God still doesn't owe it to us. Those are gifts God gives us to return thanks to him. The rich think they have something to boast about before the Lord. And they are in this life already receiving their consolation. Fine, boast away. Draw attention to yourself. But the sad thing is what they're missing is the eternal life. It's when we recognize all I can do is stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I am a rotten sinner. I try so hard in every day. Just my thoughts alone, I screw it up. We come to the Lord as beggars. But he says we're blessed to have that. The law has worked to crush us, to show us we can't stand before the Lord and tell him what he owes us. We're not entitled to squat before the Lord. And yet he tells us, because the kingdom of God is your possession. The kingdom of God means you have been placed in the invisible Christian church of all believers. And not only are you in it because Christ is the head and the invisible church is his body, you're connected to that head. The Holy Spirit's living in your heart. The invisible church is your possession. And that church is going to be made visible. And that means the new heavens and the new earth are yours. It's just a matter of time of waiting. They're already belong to you. And that glorified body will be yours. And since you're in that church, every day the forgiveness of sins is yours. Every day Christ is ruling over his kingdom and this creation to keep you in that kingdom. I could go on and on about the blessings of owning the kingdom of God. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, you're blessed to know your blessings. The law has condemned you and you've stood before the Lord as a beggar. You've come to him poor. But God in his grace has made you rich. He's given you his kingdom. You are prince and princesses. All eternity is yours. What a blessing to know that. Now, verse 21 says, those who continue being hungry now are multi-blessed because you guys will be filled with satisfaction. Now, we already recognize, he's talking to disciples here. We already recognize from Matthew where he says, poor in spirit. Jesus here is talking about not just hungering of the belly. He's talking about hungering for something else. That's hungering for grace, brothers and sisters in Christ. We've already come before the Lord as beggars. We don't earn forgiveness. We don't deserve forgiveness. And yet, stop and think about the blessing. We begin our worship service by standing before the Lord and saying, Lord, I beg you, I stink at this. I hunger to hear that I'm forgiven. And we're told you are. Isn't it a blessing that we can come to the word every day through just two minutes or five minutes of devotions or meditations? And God, who created that new man in you through his very word, nourishes that new man in you, reminds you every day, I love you, I've forgiven you, I'm keeping you safe. It's really a blessing to hunger for the Lord. Lord, I can't get enough of your word. And yet also now, right now, God says, I satisfy you. I assure you of forgiveness. I strengthen your new man. And I've even given you a special meal in which you especially get to eat or taste and see that the Lord is good. Soul food in the Lord's Supper. Brothers and sisters in Christ, he also says the opposite, though. Woe to you guys who have been filled with satisfaction now because you guys will hunger. 
This happens in Christians. Ah, the service is boring. Bible study doesn't cover the things I want to study. I don't like the devotions. I don't have time for this. I got it all when I was confirmed good enough. Jesus loves me, this I know, and this is all I want to know. Martin Luther, when he wrote his large catechism, gave a warning. See, he had translated the Bible into the language of the common people around him, German. And though some of those people, they bought that Bible, they read it from cover to cover. Mm, 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 mm. There, now I'm done. I never have to eat any more soul food again. He wrote the catechism to be a student book to teach children and, and people new to the faith. He wrote that as the basic summary of the basic teachings of the scripture. And people would read that once they say he's done. So in the large catechism, he says... I wrote the catechism and I don't feel like I've mastered it. The apostles and the prophets who were inspired to write the Bible were never done studying it. But you think you've mastered it? There are Christians who don't hunger, brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe they hunger for entertainment. But they're not hungering to hear that grace and to hear that word. It's a blessing that God has put it in your heart to have that hunger. And it's a blessing that he satisfies you every day. And you will ultimately be satisfied before his throne in heaven. Well, you will never hunger again. But those who don't have that hunger, you know, that's like what Jesus says to one of the seven churches in Asia in Revelations. He said, you are neither hot nor cold. Since you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth and into the flames. They will hunger. Look at as they chase after the things that this world has to offer, how they miss the fact that there's something missing in their life. They hunger for something, but they won't go to what that is. They're missing it. And sadly, if they continue doing that in all eternity, they will hunger for something they've been separated from, from God's grace. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you who continue being hungry, God's law has, has worked on you, his gospel has come, and now you constantly hunger to be refreshed with that grace, and God doesn't leave you hungering. He fills you to satisfaction every day. He offers you the means of grace in his love every day. So you're blessed to know your blessings. You come as a beggar, but God has made you rich. You hunger for grace and God feeds you. Verse 21, the second half gives us the next blessing. Those who continue weeping are multi-blessed because you guys will laugh. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's two things we can do. And in verse 25, the second half gives the opposite. This is the natural way of the world. Woe to you guys who continue laughing now because you guys will grieve and you will weep. The world offers us many allurements that draw us away from the word of God. And to enjoy life the way the world wants to enjoy life is he who dies with the most toys wins, right? Our bodies need food and clothing, shelter, and we can run after these things and want them in abundance and we can really rejoice and we have temptations. God has given us blessings. Sexual intercourse is meant to be a blessing in God's rules, it's a blessing when we, when we recognize only keeping the marriage bed pure. But the world that says, that's all a bunch of garbage. Rejoice, this is fun. Sin is fun, isn't it? Rejoice in it. Give itching ears what they want to hear. People want to come to church. They want to they be entertained. But brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are laughing, that's rejoicing in the things of this world. They grieve and weep. They grieve and weep when a loved one dies. Because there's no hope. They grieve and weep when they face death because if they're honest with themselves, they got nothing. You and I, we weep in this world. You and I, we weep over our sins. I've done it again, Lord. I've screwed up. Why? 
We weep in this world because we watch our unbelieving family and friends persist in stubbornness of heading on that highway straight to hell as they rejoice in the things of this world and don't use them in the stewardship God had intended. We weep because God subjected this world to decay and our bodies wear out as they get older and we get diseases. But brothers and sisters in Christ, you laugh through that as well. We've been studying First Peter and persecution. It's a lot easier to endure persecution for being a Christian when you know the worst they can do is take your life and your possessions because God's, got, God's already given you eternal life. We can rejoice when we face illnesses and terminal diseases because we know the outcome is God's going to welcome us in his arms in all eternity in heaven. We can rejoice now as we weep over these things because God, as we weep over our unbelieving neighbor, God sends you to tell them the good news of a Savior. And boy, what rejoicing we have. We rejoice to hear, I screwed up and sinned again, but God has forgiven my sins. And we rejoice to know that God is ruling over all creation, so the things that are the most miserable, they're actually meant for our good. You're blessed to know your blessings. You've come as a beggar, but God has made you rich. He's given you the kingdom. You hunger for grace, and God feeds you daily. You weep in this world and God gives you joy now and an eternity of joy to come. Verse 22 is the last blessing. He says, you guys are multi-blessed whenever men hate you and whenever they exclude you and they heap on insults and they spew out your name as wicked on account of the Son of Man. People will hate you because they hated Jesus. People will hate you. In fact, the word exclude, that happens today when the Christian kid, teenager, doesn't want to go along with their buddies because they know it's wrong, so their buddies you know, ostracize them. When Christians' co-workers don't want anything to do with them because they... they and I'm not talking about the, the fuddy-duddy, the holier-than-thou Christian who, who, who is condemning everybody, but simply because they don't want to hear the good news of forgiveness. But the word that's used there also is a word for excommunicate. The early Christian converts from Judaism were excommunicated from their people, from their synagogues, and from their temple. And they heaped insults and they spew out your name as wicked, spewing out your name as if it's a filthy curse word. But they do it because in your baptism, God wrote his name on you, property of God. You're a Christian, a Christian. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, pay close attention. Your recompense, that's your reward, is great in heaven. Now, persecution and suffering and being hated doesn't get us into heaven. We're persecuted and hated because we already have salvation. Heaven's already ours. But think about it. Those who persecute us when we have the opportunity to witness, and this has happened a lot, they end up in heaven. I love that reward. There's glory for us, eternity for us. It's, it's not earned because of our persecution, but there are ways in which God does reward us in the afterlife, such as converting those like the Apostle Paul so that they're in heaven with us. And he says, in fact, their fathers were acting in line with these aforementioned things towards the prophets. Prophets like Jeremiah. We'll get into that here in just a minute. Let's get to the woe in verse 26. Woe whenever all men speak well of you guys. What? Isn't it good to have everybody speaking well of you all the time? In fact, their fathers were acting in line with these aforementioned things towards the false prophets. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if people hate us no matter what, the message we're giving might be wrong. We might not be showing the gospel. But if we are proclaiming the law and the gospel in their right proportions, if we're proclaiming them as God intended, it's better to err on the side of giving forgiveness than giving the law. 
people are still going to hate us. Jesus points to the false prophets. So let's give an example of that. Jeremiah is called to tell the people, the Babylonians are coming, repent, and God will stop them. But the false prophets said, bosh, they didn't listen. So the Babylonians come, they haul off a lot of people. Then Jeremiah says, don't rebel again, or God will let the Babylonians wipe you out. And the false prophets said, we got the temple, God's not going to let it happen. They didn't listen to Jeremiah. They threw Jeremiah in a well at one point in time. He said, be quiet, quit being such a drag, man. What did they get by following the false prophets? 75 years of exile. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus once again is warning us about false prophets. If you're proclaiming a message that everybody just loves all the time, chances are you're giving itching ears what they want to hear. It's not fun to proclaim the law, but without the law we don't recognize we're beggars. We don't have the hunger. We don't see our blessings. And without that, the gospel doesn't mean anything. False prophets will tell people God has saved everybody, but they'll miss the key thing there. God has saved everybody, and unbelief still damns us to hell. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you're blessed when the world hates you. They hated your Savior. And there will be those that will come to faith and see you uh, and, and be thankful that God sent you to proclaim the word to them. But the world will hate you for it, and it doesn't matter, because God has already embraced you, and he sent you out to be a herald in this world. He calls it bearing the cross. If you're going to follow him, you're going to have to bear up the cross. But he says, it's okay. I've borne the big cross. You're already saved. And I'm using you. And, and, and I promise you, I'm keeping you safe in heaven. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ today, we see you're blessed to know your blessings. You came as a beggar before God, but God has made you rich. You hunger for grace, and God feeds you daily with his grace. You weep in this world, but God gives you joy in this world and joy in the world to come. The world hates you, but God holds you in his eternal embrace, holds you safe in his hands. Amen. And now blessed are you in your poverty before the Lord, for he has given you his kingdom. Amen.